0: This e-cystic fibrosis review podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio.
1: The literature has shown that there are four potential positive impacts of ivocaptor therapy. The first is an increase in BMI. The second is a restoration of pancreatic exocrine function. The third is a decreased risk of recurrent acute pancreatitis. And the fourth is the ability to potentially wean off of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy.
0: The pancreas malnutrition and CFTR modulator therapy. Welcome to E-Cystic Fibrosis Review. Pancreatic insufficiency. Is it a gold standard for diagnosis? Beyond PERT and specialized feeding regimens, how can the malnutrition it causes best be managed? And what does the evidence really say about the effects of CFTR modulator therapy? That's what we're here to talk about today with Dr. Vikesh Singh, Associate Professor of Medicine and Director of the Pancreatitis Center at Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions. For Dr. Singh's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, eCysticFibrosisReview.org, and click on the Volume 9, Issue 13 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of eCystic Fibrosis Review. Dr. Singh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Bob. Our first learning objective is to explain the physiological mechanisms of malnutrition in patients with cystic fibrosis. So start us off, if you would please, Dr. Singh, by taking us to the clinic with a patient
1: scenario. Thank you, Bob. A four-year-old girl whose family recently immigrated to the United States from Eastern Europe is admitted to the hospital with pneumonia, intermittent diarrhea, and poor weight gain. Pseudomonas aeruginosa is isolated from her sputum. She has started on antibiotics. She is discharged from the hospital after a few days and is seen in clinic for follow-up. Her family reports that she has had difficulty gaining weight since infancy. She is diagnosed with cystic fibrosis based on genetic testing, revealing a CFTR, G551D, and f 508 del mutations, and a sweat chloride of 81 millimoles per liter. Her fecal elastase concentration is undetectable at less than 15 micrograms per gram. She undergoes pulmonary function testing that revealed in FEV1 of 74%. She has initiated an appropriately dosed ivacaftor and Pancrelipase. lipase.
0: Compare for us if you would, doctor, the mechanics of normal pancreatic function as compared to the impaired pancreatic functioning seen in so many people with cystic fibrosis.
1: Normal pancreatic exocrine function is determined by the adequate production and delivery of digestive enzymes by the pancreatic acinar cells to the small intestine, the adequate secretion of bicarbonate-rich fluid by pancreatic duct cells into the small intestine, an appropriate intestinal pH to allow for the activation of digestive enzymes, bile acid secretion, and normal gut motility. And in patients with cystic fibrosis? These patients typically have increased energy expenditure due to decreased lung function. They often also have fat malabsorption due to exocrine pancreatic insufficiency-induced maldigestion. They can have reduced secretion of bile acids, and they can also have gut inflammation. Thank you for clarifying that,
0: Dr. Singh. I want to ask you about diagnosis. What's the gold standard test for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency?
1: There is no gold or criterion standard for a diagnosis of exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, also known as EPI. The coefficient of fat absorption, also known as CFA, that is determined through a 72-hour fecal fat collection is often considered the gold standard for exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, but it's actually the gold standard for steatorrhea. And steatorrhea can be due to a number of causes other than cystic fibrosis. So, without an applicable standard,
0: how should clinicians make the diagnosis?
1: Clinicians are most commonly using indirect tests of pancreatic function to diagnose exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. The test that's most commonly used in patients with cystic fibrosis is a fecal elastase test. Generally speaking, a fecal elastase level of less than 200 micrograms per gram, particularly in a patient with cystic fibrosis who has either loose stool and or weight loss or difficulty gaining weight, suggests a diagnosis of exocrine pancreatic insufficiency.
0: Suggests a diagnosis of exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. I understand your phrasing, and to me that seems to indicate that there may be diagnostic errors that are often made. Is that true?
1: There are generally three errors that clinicians make. The first is an over-reliance on indirect tests of pancreatic exocrine function to make a diagnosis of exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency is a syndrome consisting of four domains. These include nutritional need, dietary intake, pancreatic secretion of digestive enzymes, and intestinal adaptation. It is important to emphasize that a syndrome cannot be diagnosed through the presence or assessment of only one feature out of these four domains. The second important point is that we need to be aware of the fact that there are non-pancreatic causes of exocrine insufficiency. For example, patients with small intestinal bacterial overgrowth can present very similarly to patients who have exocrine insufficiency due to the pancreas, although the treatment could be very different as these patients may respond to a course of antibiotics or multiple courses of antibiotics in order to improve their symptoms. The last point is that dietary counseling and appropriately dosed pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy should be taken during meals that include fats, facilitate absorption, and ensure proper growth and development, particularly in children and adolescents. It is important to note that patients should not take pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy before meals, as the capsules or the microspheres will disperse quickly into the small bowel before having a chance to mix with food. And this will result in maldigestion and malabsorption of fat.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Singh, for that case and discussion. Let's return now to our learning objective. Explain the physiological mechanisms that result in malnutrition in patients with cystic fibrosis. So summarize for us, if you would please, doctor. What are the key things our listeners need to know?
1: The key things that our listeners need to know are, one, the mechanisms of malnutrition are multifactorial. Two, proper exocrine function is governed by both pancreatic and non-pancreatic components. Three, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency is a syndrome with four distinct features, but only one feature, that is the results of indirect pancreatic function testing using fecal elastase concentration, are used to make the diagnosis in current clinical practice. Finally, Nutritional assessments and counseling, in addition to appropriate use of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy, will ensure proper growth and development in pediatric cystic fibrosis patients.
0: Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Vikesh Singh from Johns Hopkins in just a moment. COVID-19, how is it affecting people living with cystic fibrosis? Does having cystic fibrosis increase the chances of more severe disease, or is the high degree of adherence to normal CF care protective? What does the evidence say, and how are those findings affecting clinical practice? That's the focus of our current e-cystic Fibrosis Review Special Edition, CF and COVID-19, The Data and the Real World. Join Dr. Lisa Saman from Columbia University and New York Presbyterian Hospital as she analyzes the current literature investigating these questions and then speaks directly with frontline clinicians about their experiences maintaining patient care in a disrupted healthcare system. CF and COVID-19, the data and the real world. Available at eCysticFibrosisReview.org. Welcome back to this eCystic Fibrosis Review Podcast. We've been speaking with Dr. Vikesh Singh, Director of the Pancreatitis Center at the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions, about the physiological mechanisms that result in malnutrition in patients with cystic fibrosis. Let's turn now to our second learning objective, the impact of CFTR modulators on parameters of nutrition, exocrine function, and recurrent acute pancreatitis in patients with cystic fibrosis. So, uh, once again, if you would please, Dr. Singh, take us to the clinic.
1: Thank you, Bob. Our next patient is a four-year-old girl with cystic fibrosis. She has a CFTR genotype of G551D and F508-DEL with exocrine pancreatic insufficiency diagnosed through a fecal elastase of 50 micrograms per gram at one month of age, who has also had several episodes of acute pancreatitis first diagnosed at 14 months of age. She was started on pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy as an infant with stabilization of her BMI at greater than the 50th percentile. However, the episodes of acute pancreatitis resulted in weight loss during her hospitalizations as she was made nothing by mouth and her pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy was discontinued at times. She has then started on ivacaftor therapy.
0: Starting her on ivacaftor therapy... What are the potential positive impacts that might be expected in a patient like this?
1: The literature has shown that there are four potential positive impacts of ivacaftor therapy. The first is an increase in BMI. The second is a restoration of pancreatic exocrine function. The third is a decreased risk of recurrent acute pancreatitis. And the fourth is the ability to potentially wean off of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy.
0: Uh, that fourth point you just mentioned the ability to potentially wean off of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. That would, of course, mean a return to pancreatic sufficiency. Do we know what percentage of patients receiving Ivacaftor might achieve restoration of pancreatic exocrine function? The pediatric studies to date, doctor, what have they reported?
1: The Kiwi and Klim studies show that 41% of patients between the ages of 2 and 5 years achieved pancreas sufficiency as assessed by fecal elastase measurements over 84 weeks of therapy with ivacaftor. The arrival study showed that 67% of patients between the ages of 12 to less than 24 months achieved pancreas sufficiency as measured by fecal elastase concentrations over 24 weeks of therapy with ivacaftor. These data suggest that earlier initiation of ivacaftor is expected to result in the greatest improvements. It is not clear if exocrine pancreatic function can be restored in older teenagers and adults with pancreas-insufficient cystic fibrosis who are treated with CFTR modulators.
0: I want to shift focus for a moment to the patients with cystic fibrosis who are pancreatic sufficient. Treatment with CFTR modulators can prevent additional episodes of acute pancreatitis. Overall, why is that important?
1: This is important because the prevention of additional episodes of acute pancreatitis can reduce the risk of converting from pancreas sufficiency to pancreas insufficiency, and therefore reduces the need for initiation of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. In addition, the prevention of additional episodes of acute pancreatitis can reduce the need for hospitalization where many patients with acute pancreatitis wind up.
0: Thank you, Dr. Singh, for sharing your insight and expertise in today's discussion. Let's wrap things up now by returning to our learning objective, the impact of CFTR modulators on parameters of nutrition, exocrine function, and recurrent acute pancreatitis in patients with cystic fibrosis. What are the key things our listeners need to remember?
1: The first is to start IVACAFTER by one year of age in children with cystic fibrosis who have at least one gating mutation to allow for increases in BMI. To restore and preserve pancreatic exocrine function and for the potential possibility of coming off of pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy. The second thing is that CFTR modulator therapy is effective for preventing recurrent acute pancreatitis in patients with pancreas sufficient cystic fibrosis who have a history of acute pancreatitis. The final point is that CFTR modulator therapy prevents recurrent acute pancreatitis, and this reduces the risk of converting from pancreas sufficiency to pancreas insufficiency, the need for hospitalization, the development of chronic pancreatitis, and therefore the possibility of also preventing pancreatic cancer over the long term.
0: Dr. Vikesh Singh from the Johns Hopkins Medical Institutions, thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise in this e-cystic fibrosis review podcast.
1: Thank you, Bob. I hope our audience found this podcast to be informative and useful in the care of their patients with cystic fibrosis.
0: For eCystic Fibrosis Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ecf.dkbmed.com. eCystic Fibrosis Review is supported by educational grants from Vertex Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated, Advi Incorporated, to ECUSA, and Mylan. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. E-Cystic Fibrosis Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.